I want to start out with a question. Are great marriages possible? A lot of people think it's true in the movies and fairy tales, but there isn't really a great one. And we all know that we know marriages have major issues, and many times couples just try to endure. But what I want to say is God has a plan for you to have a great relationship and a great marriage. But uh, a great marriage is, has improbable odds stacked against it. If you live your life, even Christians, statistically, the odds are 50-50 of a marriage working. In other words, you have a 50% chance of divorce. Yet we Christians accept those kind of odds when it comes to relationships. Where if we were asked to choose which plane we wanted to board, one that had a 50-50 chance of crashing, or one that had a 5% chance of crashing, which plane are you going to get on? Probably neither, but you would normally pick the 5% odd plane. Yet we take relationships rides with our marriage all the time, doing the 50-50 odds. And I want to suggest that God has a way, even for Christians, to increase the odds of success. And that success happens when they do certain things. The first thing that I want you to look at is we should seek God. Your passage today in Matthew 6.33 says, But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. It means go after all things God as a priority. And when we do, God gets involved. But sadly, there are Christians who God isn't actively involved in their lives because they haven't made room for Him. So how do you get the power of God operating in your life? Matthew 6.33 says this happens when you seek Him first. Then all these things will be added to you. Jesus is saying, if you focus on getting close to me, I will help you take care of your own stuff. But if you take care of your own stuff first, you're opting out on having God's power work in your life. So seek God first. Now, this is not just a message for married, but singles. Too often... We pray, God, help me find the one. God, I believe there is one for me. Nothing wrong with that prayer. But what happens is, a single person is looking for that person to complete them. But that's not what needs to happen. That's a very flawed concept because no one can complete you. Nobody on this earth. And a lot of us got married literally idolizing that person we married thinking that they're, they're so incredible. But notice this. Anything you idolize other than God, you're going to demonize. Did you hear me? Anything you idolize other than God, you will demonize. And do you know why? Because 
they weren't fit to be an idol. They will fail you every time, whether it's your sports team, whether it's your job or vocation, or even your best friend, because everything we idolize besides God will fail us. And the only one worth idolizing is God. And I've seen it over and over again. There is, there is that appreciation when you're at the, at the wedding altar. And that person you picked to marry, you said, boy, I just love him so much. He's just so laid back. He's calm. He's so, he's so good for me. But 10 years into marriage, you're saying, well, I married a bump on the log. He just lays around all the time. He's got no, no initiative at all. And then the guy marries the girl and says, oh, she's so organized. She has just got so much attention to detail. Unlike me, she's OCD. And then 10 years later, she's a control freak. The same person you idolized, now you demonize after marriage. So what do we do about it? Well, let me tell you. You can't let people be in the position that only God is intended to be in. You hear me? You can't let people be in a position that only God is intended to be in. And the truth be known, the reason we have failed relationships is we expect from people only what God can give. And they can't live up to your pressure. It's hard. And the reason you're expecting it from them is because you don't have it in God. Because when you have it in your God, you don't need it from anyone else. So one of the main points I want you to take away on this Valentine's Sunday is this. God is my one, and my spouse is my two. God is my one, my spouse is my two. So what I'm saying is you need to seek God. You need to go after God. Yet, when we are looking for that person to marry, when we are seeking that one, that perfect mate, that is why, if you're unmarried, I want to tell you this. You single people, seek the one while preparing for your two. If you're single, don't even seek that person. Work on developing your relationship with God first. And what you will discover is the more attractive to those looking for a person is that person that is preparing to become the man or woman of God and the type of person many seek. See, singles, you're working on letting God get more and more inside your life by growing closer to God and staying faithful in church and serving and and letting God work in your life. See, you're preparing for that person and you're allowing God's power to go into motion. See, I remember back in high school, I was looking at a, a news article that was talking about the millennials and how that many of them don't even date. They don't want to date. They're totally happy playing on their computers, uh, their video games or, or Facebooking or Instagramming or whatever they're doing, that they really don't need the face-to-face 
relationships. They don't have to leave the comfort of their home and go out and ask somebody for a date and, and, and be in those uncomfortable situations. But I remember in high school that, that everybody went steady and everybody dated everybody. Some girl always was wearing my letter jacket. And the only reason I got a class ring was to give it away. And I still don't know where either one of them are. <laughs> and it always seemed like we were going steady with someone. But I know in my junior year of college, I decided I needed to take a dating sabbatical. Date no one and went off to ROTC advance camp in Fort Riley, Kansas and single, came back and then started dating my senior year of college. And the first couple of dates that I had with girls, all they talked about was marriage. And I left. I said, oh. they were looking for someone to complete them. And that's when I met Karen. She had no desire to be married. She had plans on going to medical school. We failed there. And we were both looking on growing in our personal faith and not hunting for a husband or a wife. And that's why when we fail when we are wanting that person to fulfill what God should be fulfilling when we should be seeking after God with all our heart. And that is why the single person should focus on serving God. Stop looking and let God bring that person to you. Stop looking for a spouse and let God be your one. Just keep Jesus as your focus. So, what if you're already married and you're expecting that person to do and fulfill the role of God? What do you do now? Well, then you seek the one with your number two. This is big because a lot of Christian couples, other than going to church occasionally, really don't seek God together. So if you're a married couple that calls themselves a Christian and goes to church, but you don't actively seek God together, then you are basically keeping yourself in that 50-50 pile with the same chance of divorce as non-Christians. And it's because they're missing the principle. I will seek the one God with my two, my husband or wife. And again, we shouldn't expect our spouse to fill a role or to be something only God can be. For some of you, yes, you may have made God your one, but maybe your two in your life are your kids or your hobbies or your career, but not your spouse. And you're putting your time, energy, and money into everything but your husband or wife where your spouse should be the priority person in your life after God. So how does this happen? And what I want you to do is give you some tools of how you can seek God together. See, these are principles found in God's Word, but the Harvard Business Journal also affirms these work. And isn't it great when God's Word says something and then scientific and research data comes along and validates it? And the Harvard study says one out of 1,246 get a divorce if they do these things. So those are a lot better odds than 50-50. And I want to say that if you apply these, you can take your 
chances of divorce from 50-50 to 1 out of 1,246. And wouldn't you like those odds? If you do these things, but yes, they're difficult, they'll stretch you, and they may even be uncomfortable. But they're worth adding to your life as a Christian couple. First of all, as a praying couple, they stay together because of that discipline that every Christian needs to know and practice. James 5.16 tells us, Therefore confess your sins to each other, pray for each other, so that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous person is powerful and effective. Let me ask you, do you pray daily for your spouse? Specifically in your personal prayer time. Do you pray for each other? Do you bring prayer into the relationship, even if it's simply at the dinner table at a grace to include a mentioning of your husband or wife? Or just to text them during the day spontaneously, randomly, I'm praying for you. See, the couple that prays together stays together. Prayer can be bonding because there's something spiritual that takes place in the heart. Also, you increase the odds by discovering the Bible together. There's something you can do is discuss the Bible. Maybe take Matthew 6.33 and talk about it today or in a car ride or, or the Sunday school lesson from the, the book of Acts or using the daily bread or even family devotionals because that's what we're commanded to do. Deuteronomy 6 tells us these commands that I give you today are to be upon your heart. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road or drive along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. So make the Bible part of your discussion every day. Enter Scripture into daily situations and discussions with your family and how it interacts and makes sense with today's culture. Bring the Bible into everyday life. And, and that is what Sunday school and Bible study does. It helps you read the Bible. Also, you want to change the odds dramatically besides praying and reading the Bible? Attend church together. That means attend church faithfully. Consider making a church attendance we don't miss kind of thing. That's how it is in our family. You know, it's not weather related. Uh, it's not sickness related unless you're contagious. It's not sports related. Our church has a 9 o'clock service and a 12 or 11.15 service. But make church be what everything else waits for, where you go church first, and that will change the odds. I believe the couple that makes church a we-don't-miss kind of thing will succeed. See, I was raised, and my father was a Baptist deacon, and I may be with my grandparents showing horses till 3 a.m. Sunday morning, but I was up that next morning sitting in Sunday school and most of the time ushering at church. Sick or well, we went. And that's what Karen and I expected and what we wanted to be a part of our kids' lives. Because a, a stay-at-home parent 
doesn't make a go-to-church kid. Did you hear me? A stay-at-home parent doesn't make a go-to-church kid. And notice what it says in Luke 4.16 about Jesus. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into, into the synagogue as was his custom. So don't leave church to chance. Because it increases your odds from 50-50 to 1 out of 1,246. Remember what Psalm 127 verse 1 reminds us. Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. So unless the Lord's involved, it doesn't matter. So unless God's Christ is involved... It doesn't matter how much counseling you do, how many secular books you read, you have to get Jesus involved in your marriage. And there is something inside of each of us. Yes, we are fallen and sinners, but Jesus promises us the do-overs from this day forward kind of life. I ask you to... As we go into this time of communion, and I'm going to ask our deacons to come forward, I ask you to meditate on this last point. The number one essential of a healthy relationship is living a God life first. Did you hear me? The number one essential of a healthy relationship is living a God, a God life first. So as you go to this time of communion, think about this. Think about what are your odds for your relationship and what do you need to change in your life as you break the bread and take the juice. And this is an open communion. If you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, you're welcome to participate in this Lord's Supper with us.